going to hand over to Jay. Oh. Don, you okay? You got the waterworks ready already. <laughs> no, I try and act macho and joking. I'll be crying in four minutes easily. No, I, um, I, dude, gosh, I've smudged my glasses in the process of that as well. Okay, we're off to a great start here. Um, I do say, like, I'm a pretty macho dude in most areas. Two things will make me cry. Um, God and the Lakers. And the Lakers are playing while I speak about God. So the odds of crying are very high this morning. <laughs> Um, it is very exciting, though, and it is an absolute honor to be here speaking for you guys this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jay, as you just heard, but um, it is a real honor. Breakthrough has been my home since I was born. I'm, uh, it, is such, it is such an honor to be speaking here at Breakthrough. You know, I, I don't take it for granted at all, this opportunity I get given to come here. So first of all, thank you to all of you for giving me this opportunity and coming in here and you speak. I genuinely mean it that every single person that's in this room it means the world to me that you would take the time out of your day to come and hear little old me speak this morning. So that does mean the world. And also, um, just a huge shout out to um, my pastors, who are also my parents, who, you know, a lot of people think I'm up here because I'm a pastor's kid. It's true. It's nepotism. I've got enough dirt on them that I can do whatever I want and I'll get up here. No, that's a lie. I, um, I am, like, it is a true honor that I've got to see them live their lives for the last 20 years of my life as pastors up here every Sunday, you know, and I can honestly say with like heart on, hand on heart, what they preach is what they live every day. And it is such an honor. I am so proud to call myself a part of Breakthrough and I'm so proud to call myself Peter and Christine's son. So just for 10 seconds, can we give them a hand? They're amazing pastors. Awesome. So I, um, I am a little bit nervous this morning. I might not be letting on too much, but... If you're wondering how nervous, three minutes ago I spilled my water not just on my laptop but also my notes. So um, we might be ad-libbing a bit over page four because I no longer have page four, but uh, pages one, to th- one and three and beyond are looking fine. Um, and no, I d- these are my notes. This is obviously the Lakers game on the computer as well. I'm str- no, that's, <laughs> that's the, uh, the backup notes now. Um, I would like to start this morning off by just doing something a little bit different um, than a normal service. And that is I'd like to actually... Man, I said I was going to cry in four minutes now. I got there in two. Um, I'd like to actually dedicate this morning's sermon to a very close friend of mine and a very close friend of Breakthroughs who uh, sadly passed away about seven months ago, and that is um, John Pooley Pool. John was an amazing friend of Breakthroughs who, um, yeah, he was a part of Breakthrough. He came from Bendigo, him and his wife, Marianne. They were leaders at Breakthrough. They led a Christian biker organization, as you can see, Pooley was big about bikes, and he uh, led a biker organization called Chariots of Light, which is all about taking what they loved in motorbikes and what they loved about Jesus and combining the two together. John also shared, uh, uh, served on the board of Breakthrough since 2015, right up until his passing last year in 2023. Uh, but more than this, John is a really good mate. And um, John was in a health battle for the last couple of years of his life, and about last Feb, so about a month after I'd had the honor of preaching for the first time at Breakthrough, as we said, this is the second year we've done Next Gen Jan. I had the honor of preaching the first time last year. About a month later, got to go and see John. And um, what I didn't know at the time was that would actually be the last time I ever saw John here on earth. That was the last time I ever got to see him. And he was struggling a lot health-wise, so conversation was slim. But um, right at the end, We'd been there for about 45 minutes, and I'd gone up with a few members of my family. We were in the hospital. We are getting ready to leave. And John sat up as best he could. He turned to me, and he said, 
I listened to your message. It was really good. And then he said, keep preaching and keep telling people about Jesus and keep helping your generation. God's going to use you. And that actually turned out to be the last words he ever said to me. Fine, but John was a really good friend basically my whole life. And to have that left to me. So today I just wanted to dedicate this message to John's legacy of faith and love. But man, he was such an amazing man of love and compassion for people. You know, when he passed away last May, I was literally like blown away. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, I was literally blown away by the stories upon stories of people from his life that you would never know of how he'd impacted them and the love that he'd shown to them and how different their lives were just because John was in it. And that so impacted my life. So I wanted to dedicate today to that legacy that he left here. And also, I want to dedicate this message because what I'm about to speak is a message of redemption and hope. And I don't think there's a better example in the history of humanity that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you look like, God can use you. Because a dude that looked like that up there, who looked like John, was used by God for his whole life. So I want to dedicate this message to him. Um, he, John loved God and family, but there's two other things he liked, motorbikes and strawberry milk. And while I couldn't preach on him highly this morning, I do want to have a glass of milk, strawberry milk for John this morning. So while I'm preaching, I'll be having a bit of strawberry milk in honor of John. And one day, one day, someday, having one with him again. So here's to you, boy. Oh. Okay. I think we've also got um, some tech issues on the live stream as well. Um, they've just popped up on the screen down there. So now that I've got the waterworks running for everyone, let's do a fun youth game. Woo! I love messing with people's emotions. No. Uh, for those who don't know, I come from youth ministry. That is where I got my first start. So the only way I know how to ever speak is if I start with a little, you know, game for energy drink fueled, links Africa doubts people who are sitting there after playing 16 hours of COD. So you might not fit all those uh, areas, but today we're going to do a quick youth game. So what I'm going to do, for anyone who saw on uh, social media this week, I posted a little bio about myself, and in that I included my claim to fame is that I've hit Kathy Freeman in the head with a beanbag. That is a true story. It not like, you know, not like a little bit, like I wasn't throwing it at her. I didn't aim at Kathy Freeman. I should make that clear from the start. We'd found like those uh, in the botanical gardens, they were giving away free beanbags, and we wanted some for the church. It was like they had one of those like summer uh, cinema things going on, and we wanted some. So me and my brother drove down there. And we discovered these beanbags are really heavy when you try to carry like four of them at a time. So like we went into this, to, and I was about 13 at the time, so I'm tiny. So he just like loaded me up to a point where I couldn't see anything. I just had beanbags on me. So I just started walking down the path and I used to just like follow my voice. I'm like, okay, Caleb, I'm following where you go. Little did I know, Kathy Freeman was coming the other way. So Kathy's like, Jay, 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 Doc. I'm like, what? And I swing and clocked Kathy Freeman in the head and knocked her over with a beanbag. I didn't feel a thing because I had beanbags all over me. So I, I, I didn't even know. And she's stunned. And I, I still couldn't see where I'm walking and what's happening. And then Kathy's like, Kathy's like, he's dragging me along. He's like, you just hit Kathy Freeman in the head. And I was like 13. So I'm like, who's Kathy Freeman? But, um, <laughs> So yes, I have hit Kathy Freeman in the head with a beanbag. That is my claim to fame. So in inspiration, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm here all night. No, um, I'm not. Um, but in honor of that, we're going to run a quick youth game. So it's a little icebreaker. So what we're going to do is we're going to split ourselves into three very nicely groups that have already split yourselves up very nicely. And I'm going to take three cap team captains. So uh, Mark, do you want to take the team on this side? Uh, Kay, you already made me cry, so you get to take the team on that side. 
B, you're sitting in the middle, and I don't have a reason for you, so you can sit in, you can take the team in the middle. So in your set of seats, you're going to have 60 seconds. You have to come together and find out within your group who in your group has met the most famous celebrity. And I'm going to get three team captains up, and you're going to win my admiration if your group wins. Also, bonus points if you've hit them in the head with a beanbag, got a restraining order or something else, <laughs> similarly as nervous. So uh, teams, jump up, 60 seconds, you don't long, quickly find out. Who is the most random person, or most famous person, I should say, that you've known? Double points if any of you have hit them in the head with a beanbag. Oh, for those online, why don't you start um, throwing out some names as well? If you've met anyone, I, I want to hear I want to hear names. I don't just want to hear names. I want to hear the stories. You know, I want to hear about why the police dragged you away in handcuffs for the next three hours. Okay. Okay, we're quickly jumping into the game. Josh. We're, we're part of the game as okay, well. Okay, all right, and you've got to be. And so, we, we, anyone who's watching, the the instruction is the most famous person you have met. Yeah. All right. Um. So, who who online have you start, met anybody? Start dropping names. Yeah. Start start giving us a name. Um. People that, um, royalty, people in the government, famous musicians and and um, <laughs> sports people. Yeah. You know, who, 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 who have we got? Drop, drop names right now because we're a part of this and we have a chance to win. He, he, didn't, he didn't mention it, but yeah, we're going to yeah, win. Yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can do this. We can take the listen, win. Listen to the resources we've got here. People yeah. are watching it. So, um, come on, guys. Come on. We, we need some comments here. I, I, um, well, they're already, they're already saying names. So, if we... Royalty. Oh, who? Who? Who, who? who give, specifically? Give us, give, us, give us a name, Agnes. We need because uh, you're you're you're. You got uh, anyone, Josh? You got anyone? I I don't think I have it. I probably have met someone. Um, yeah, I've, I've met a lot of you know, sports people, cricketers, yeah. footballers. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. You know that um, royalty. Who, who? I've met I've met prime ministers. Yeah. Um, but they were they were um, Tony Abbott. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, That's good. Um, John Howard. An actor. No, which actor? You, you gotta, gotta which actor? Name. We need a name. If, we, if I can't just say royalty or an actor, it's it's if, if if I don't have a specific name, I need the actor. Someone else. I've heard royalty. All right, we're gonna have to switch. We're gonna switch back to see what they're doing here. But if you put in comments, we'll we'll right, do it up there. See in the comments, we'll pick it up. Mark Markowitz. I don't know who. They'll be able to see it online. So Jake
Finally, over the other side, I just fallen back into bad habits, and I was so angry at myself. And it's such a, oh, it's just so annoying because I'm like, oh, I should have done better. I had every chance to do better. You know, I'd grown up in church. I was a third generation pastor's kid. I should have dealt with this years ago. I'd finally at least dealt with it. Now I'm here in the same cycles again. Thank you, mum. <laughs> in case anyone in the back row is in here, mum's just going to be doing an echo for the rest of the service. Um, I've got a heckler. Um, <laughs> They said there was no sound. Oh, thank you. No. Well, in case anyone didn't hear the sound, we've got mum to just repeat it for you from now on. Um, but no, I was true. I, I felt like I should have been in a better place. And I'd, cause I'd actually get quite scared because it's like, man, if I haven't dealt with this by now, am I ever going to actually be on the other side of these things? And like, am I ever actually going to be living the life I intend to live? But the, the thing was... I, uh, I'd been trying to make everyone else believe that, you know, I had everything going right. You know, that was the key. Everyone else still believed I had everything going right in my life. It was just, I was the one that thought I was beyond repair. And then there was this one night in particular, I can still remember it. I'd messed up again. I failed again. Umpteenth time. I walked into my room, you know, I was expecting to feel like bad or angry, regretful, remorseful, frustrating, those things. But I actually felt something much much scarier. I felt unashamed. And that might seem like something that we strive for in society. Like, that's a good thing. And don't get me wrong, that is a good emotion to feel unashamed. Like, that's biblical, there's things about it. But not the way I was feeling it. Because for me, I didn't feel unashamed because I thought what I was doing was right. 
but because I genuinely no longer saw myself as better than my mistakes. I'd gotten to a point where all I could see were the mistakes I was making, and I didn't even see there being a point in feeling shame, because I'm like, that's just who I am. I genuinely felt so dead internally that I was like, there's not even a point in being upset at myself, because this is just, this is my destiny, this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life, is this person. And I'll tell you right now, that is one of the scariest moments of my life. You know, I've had scary moments. I've driven with my sister. I've been in very scary situations before. <laughs> but legitimately, the scariest thing I've ever felt is the feeling of feeling so dead internally that even when I stuffed up, I didn't even think it was worth being upset at myself for because I was like, that's just who I am. What's the point of getting upset at myself because I'm going to do it again tomorrow? I'm going to go, I'm just in the, stuck in this cycle. So I, vivid, I vividly remember in that moment being like, oh man, am I that far gone? But... <laughs> I remember on that night, I laid in my bed and I actually faked tears. I faked tears coming out of my eyes because I was so desperate to prove to myself that there was still something inside. I still felt bad. I was desperate to, in a weird way, prove to everyone around me, even though no one else could see me, that I still had everything going right in my life. But at that moment, feeling these real fears of like, okay, am I actually too far gone to ever do anything of true worth in my life? Is there actually too much dirt in my past to ever actually do anything of true value. So I did what any good Christian, or really what I think a lot of people would do, is I tried praying. I tried to pray. I'm like, God, I knew God. I'd grow, as I said, I've grown up in church. I've known God to be a loving God. I've known God to be a comforting God. And I was like, God, I just need that comfort right now. So I started to pray. And I've never found a God to be more distant than he was in that moment. I remember I was, I was facing my wall, and I would pray, and it literally felt like the words were hitting the wall and bouncing back at me. That was how empty they were. That was how alone I felt in that moment. I could, could have been in the Sahara photo that Brief showed before. Like, I literally felt like there was no one around me, particularly not a God. So, again, I want to ask you, have you ever felt beyond repair? Like, everyone would think you had everything together, but you saw yourself as nothing more than a failure and a fraud and feared the day that they found out. Have you ever felt like the confidence and zest for life that you show was nothing more than a costume you put on to hide the true reality of how scared you were that, oh, maybe this is actually just not going to work out. Maybe I actually can't do anything. Maybe this is all I'm ever going to have is this costume and this production that I'm creating. And has God ever felt distant? You know, maybe it's a God that you've known well your whole life. Maybe it's a God that you've grown up in church knowing about. Maybe it was a God that you'd never actually really known, but you'd heard about and you know, you're at a point where there was no harm in even in trying something like spirituality. But all of it felt completely hopeless. There was no point in trying God anymore because you just could not find anything in that space. You just felt so alone. If that's the case, then I want to give you something that I didn't know that night. You're not alone because <laughs> I've been right there. And hopefully this morning can help you figure out what to do in those moments of fake tears, real fears, and a really distant God. Let's pray together. God, I, I just thank you for this opportunity that you've given me this morning to come and speak and share what you have shared with me, Lord. I thank you that you have given, helped me so much in realigning my thinking with what you think of me. You've realigned my thoughts of who you are. You've helped me discover the truth and the clarity and found clarity in what was going on in those moments of fake tears, real fears, and a distant God. You've helped me discover that, Lord. And I thank you now. Help me to share that with everyone here. I pray, Lord, that you give me clarity as I speak. You give openness to people as they hear it, Lord. 
May this gel together. May what you've shared with me help people right now find clarity in where they're at, Lord. I thank you as we do it. May it be done in such a joy and such an atmosphere of fun, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Man, I closed my eyes. I was facing that one. I was facing that way when I got up. I didn't realize. I don't know how I did that. Okay, so today. Oh, here we're under the page that I've lost. This is the water page. Um, so I want to ask, so you feel beyond repair. What do we do now? Very important question. A question I was asking myself very much. So the first step for me was to figure out the distant God. Okay, for two reasons. Number one, I'm a Christian. I love God. God is an important part of my life. I wanted to know why God was distant, and I didn't want to feel that anymore. More than the other things, that was the most important one for me. That if I couldn't have the other things sorted out, I wanted to figure out at least having the distant God. That was important for me. And as it found out, this is a little bit of breaking the fourth wall, because I didn't know this at the time, but you're going to know this at this point, is that um, it was actually sort of sorted the other two out as well. Figured out the distant God. The other two actually figured themselves out. You see what I mean in a minute. So I did... A very important thing. I asked myself, what does the Bible say about God being distant? You know, you know that, that dust collector that sits in the book, in the uh, bedside table under that menu for the Chinese restaurant that you was down the road that you always meant to get food from. But it has a lot of truth in it. The, um, the Bible, not the Chinese menu. Well, that might too. I haven't read the menu, but um, I know the Bible does have truth in it. So I went to the Bible and I want to take you to a book called First Peter uh, chapter 5. It is a book in the Bible by a guy named Peter. He was one of the disciples or followers of Jesus when Jesus was on earth. After Jesus left, he commissioned Peter and all these other followers to go and create the new church. And this is Peter writing to one of the new church that they've created, giving them help and advice. And I, I want to take you to first Peter five verse five. And it says here in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. In other words, God is distant from the proud, but draws near to the humble. God is distant from the proud, but draws near to the humble. Now, this is a very interesting thought, but surely this wouldn't apply to me. You know, it's like, hey, if anyone was feeling humble that night, it was me. You know, I literally didn't think I was worthy of shame. I'm not sure how much less you can think of yourself than not thinking yourself was, of yourself as worthy of shame. That's the most humble mentality I thought I could ever have in my life. That, like, like, I was like, what, what else do I need to do to be humble? Well, let's take another step back, and I'm going to ask another question. What does true humility actually look like? So today, in society, I would consider humility to look like thinking little of yourself. You know, that would be what is considered a humble approach. You know, hashtag say humble. It's say, like, I'm not this, I'm not that. Like, I... A humble uh, Oscars award speech would be like, oh, you know, I don't deserve this. Oh, there's so many actors better than me this year. Oh, there's, um, I just can't believe something like this would happen to someone like me. Oh, I, I just can't believe my name is being put with all these other great actors in history. Some of the, that would be a humble speech, saying, like, I'm not that, I'm not that. I'm so much less than all these things around me. Well, so is this true humility? Well, kind of. It's yes and no. It's a key, it is a very common... Um, result of humility, but is it actually what true humility is? To find what true humility is, I actually want to go to the next verse along in the book. So we have first, go to first Peter five. And it says here, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then in verse six, it says, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. So this is actually a real key to what true humility looks like. Okay? True humility is not what you believe, but it's who you believe. That's what humility actually is. The Bible says to humble ourselves, un- therefore, under God's mighty hand. Or in another way of saying that is to align ourselves and our thinking with God. That's what the Bible says is true humility, is to align our thinking with God. Not to think less of ourselves necessarily, but to th- think what God is thinking. It's not what we believe. It's not about thinking less of ourselves, but it's about who we believe. Chris Vallotton, a pastor in um, Bethel Church over in America, has an amazing quote on this where he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. A really good way of putting it in my mind, really shaped my perspective on this. True humility is learning to believe what God says about us more than what we say about ourselves. So that's what humility actually looks like. Now, all this is making a bit of sense. You know, it's easy. Oh, yep. Trust God. Believe God. What God says is true. Easy. Yep. Done, done, done. Easy. I've grown up in church. I've heard it a thousand times. My question then is, if it's so simple, why do we not all nail it? If it's such a simple step, why was I not nailing it that night if I've heard it a hundred times in my life? So, one of the issues was, for me, was that I knew what God was going to say. You know, if I aligned myself under God and said, God, what do you say about me? The fear I had was I knew what he was going to say. You know, have you, has any, maybe, oh, sorry, I forgot from before, you're all perfect Christians who have never made a mistake. But um, has anyone ever, like, done something, made a mistake accidentally while doing something wrong intentionally? You know, like, okay, like, when I was, like, eight, and I accidentally broke the front porch light on a house, totally accident, just bumped into it while intentionally playing football in the front yard, which dad told me not to do. <laughs> so it's like, I didn't mean to break the light, but I was pretty in control of when I was playing football. And it's like, those front, those front pillars look a whole lot like a goalpost right now. So I line myself up and, and I was like, I need to go tell dad about this light. And the issue wasn't that I'd broken the light because I knew dad would be like, oh, that's fine. We can replace it. The issue is I knew what his next question would be. How did he break the light? <laughs> what were you doing out the front? I was like, oh, about that. It's really hot in here, isn't it? Like, I think I heard mum call. I'll be back in a moment, Dad. But it's like, no, I knew. It's like I was very scared because I knew what the next question along the path would be. And I knew in that moment, if I aligned myself with God, he's like, that's fine, that's fine. But I knew what the next, next thing he was going to say was. And for me, what he was going to say was, goes back to the title, you have to give up the fake tears. It's interesting. I, you know, I felt miserable and wretched and I felt like a, a failure and a fraud. But no one here really knew that. You know, a lot of you knew me in that time. I think everyone here in this room knew me at that time. I'm going to guess very few of you knew, thought I was that deeply broken inside. I think a lot of you would have thought, oh, everything was going fine. Well, that's because I was faking my tears. I was proving to everyone else that I still have everything going on, right? You know? And if I didn't have anything else, I had that. I still have the ad- identity I'd managed to build. If nothing else, I had what everyone else thought about me. And my fear was that I knew that if I humbled myself under God's mighty hand or aligned my thinking with God's thinking, one of the things he would need me to do is give up the appearance of still having it all together. Because, you know, the person, who's, the person who is doing fine isn't the person that needs to get in line. You know, I didn't mean for that to be an alliteration, but it was. That's just how good I am. Sorry, I'll humble myself under the line. Above. No, um, but... 
like I was, I, I, I still had one thing. Yeah, I didn't have anything internally, but externally I was doing fine. I really didn't want to give any of that up, you know? And maybe you're telling me like, oh, you know, that'd be great. But do you not realize like my whole job relies on the fact that I turn up with a smile? Do you not realize that like my family think I have everything going together and I'm supposed to be providing for my family and I'm supposed to be doing this and that? I can't afford to give up what everyone thinks I am. I'm way too far down the road for that. You know, I, I, serve, on, I serve on Team Breakthrough. I'm serving the church. I've been going for this church for many, far too many years to be in that point. You think, yeah, I've been going to church for 20 years when I got to that point. You know, everyone knew me. I, I preached at church like two or three months earlier and I was back at this point where I felt like this, okay? I was way past the point where I could ever admit that, you know? If I had to do that, that would have had to be well before I was preaching, well before I'd been given these opportunities, you know, you had to do it well before your job was relying on it. You had to do it well before your entire circle of friends and support were trusting on you and relying on you. Like, you don't understand. If I don't have anything, people around me, they, they're relying on me. They're believing in me. I, I need to have everything together, you know? What would my family say if I said that I didn't have everything together? What would my parents say if I didn't say that? What would, what would my neighbors say? What would the people at my work say? What would the people in my circle say, if I was the one that didn't have it all together, I have to have the one, be the one to have it all together. Because the fear was, I, I, I knew in my heart that if I gave it over to God, I was going to lose the one thing I still had left. Like, I knew in that moment, it was like, I was keeping God at arm's length because I knew that's like, I want you close. It's like, I wanted God's comfort and compassion, but I didn't want his answer. I wanted the comfort, but I was so scared of the answer that I was like, come, come close, come close. But then like my, the defense mechanism would just push him away at the last minute. I was like, no, I can't, I can't afford that. No, I'm just going to go back to what I know. Cause if I gave up, if I gave up everything being right in my life, like what was literally what would be left for me? Like it was the one thing I thought I still had was the fact that everyone around me still thought I had going like, I'd lose everything I'd built up, everything I'd dreamed of, you know, for so long would be falling short if everyone around me knew that it wasn't what it used to be and if I, that I wasn't who I used to be. So that was why I was just kept pushing God away. You know, I had such a fear that humbling myself under God, true humility, seeing what God said about me would result in that. But the reality was I actually need to do was read the end of that verse from before. So if we go back to first Peter five, six, it says, humble yourself. Therefore under God's mighty hand, and then he goes on to say that he may lift you up in due time. This, the issue wasn't that I didn't believe what I was doing was wrong. The issue was that I could never believe that he could lift me up in due time. I saw myself as way too far gone. I saw the dirt in my past. I saw the mistakes of my, in my history. I saw the choices I had made. I saw the, the actions I'd taken, the words I had said, the things I'd done were way too much to ever let God lift me up in due time. I thought I was too far down the road to be lifted up in due time. That was the part I couldn't align my thinking with God, you know? My pride was refusing to believe that I could ever be used for God. What, so, again, true humility is believing what God says about us. But that's not just the bad, that's actually the good. It's believing the bad and the good about ourselves. 
So what was God saying about me? You know, God was saying, he saw me as a fancy dressed, well-disguised sinner doing all the wrong things that he loved so dearly and had such amazing plans for that he was willing to send his son to earth 2,000 years earlier to leave heaven, leave a throne on heaven, to walk a life on earth, to eventually die a death on the cross, a death that was known to his culture as the most shameful, humiliating. It was the death of the, of the sin. It was the death of like, like the worst of the worst were the ones that were put on a cross. And that was the death that he wanted to die for one pure reason. And that was to free me from my sin, to regain a relationship with me, and to lift me up into the future he had for me. You know, I could see the first part wholeheartedly. I could see that I was a well-dressed, well-disguised sinner who was showing everyone else that I had everything going on, but underneath felt completely lost and hopeless. But like, I didn't want to see it. I tried to deny it, but underneath I knew that was the reality. The part I couldn't believe was the second part. And that was where he said that he would lift me up in due time. You know, that he thought I was worth the price of death itself. That he had a plan and a future for me. You know, the next verse in the, um, the passage we were reading before, verse 7, it actually goes on to say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I couldn't do that because I didn't know. I, like, I knew he cared for me, but I, was, I just couldn't trust that he would lift me up in due time. So I was taking all these cares and putting them on myself. My doubts, my fears, my mistakes, my brokenness, my hurts, my past regrets, everything. I was carrying them on myself because I, I couldn't cast them onto God because if I did that, I thought I'd be left empty-handed. I didn't trust that if I fully owned up to these, that it would be followed up by being lifted up in due time. So today... I want to give you an opportunity. If you're feeling at all like I was that night, lying in my room, if you're feeling ashamed, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling burnt out, if you like, feel like you have one too many skeletons in your closet to ever actually do anything of true value, no one knows, no one knows about it, but you do. You feel it underneath. If you feel beyond redemption, if you feel beyond repair, in any way, I want to offer you an opportunity to do something. Maybe it's something you're familiar with. Maybe it's something you've never done before in your life. To cast your cares onto God, as it says in verse 7, to cast your anxiety, to cast those fears, to cast that regret, to cast, it means like, it's like casting a rod, to throw, to pass over to God all those feelings. But I want you to have something that I never had in that moment. I want you to have the confidence that this is not the end of your journey. This is not the end of what you've held strong for. This is not the end of everything you've hoped for. This is actually the beginning. This is the beginning of a life where God wants to lift you up and turn you into everything you wanted to be, but thought you just had to fake, but actually be the real you. That's what God has offered for every single person in this room. That was the reason 2,000 years ago, he had all of heaven, he had all of glory, he had all the angels singing to him. He said, none of it matters to me because I don't have you. He said he saw you right there, right now, with all the shame, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the mistakes bundled into the deal. And he said, no, what I see in that person, he said, I see such good things in that person. 
that I'm willing to leave my spot in heaven, come live a life on earth, die the most shameful death to my culture because of you, because of how much you mean to me. That was the God that met me that night. You know, I, I really feel it doesn't matter what you think of yourself today. It does not matter what value you place in yourself today. It does not matter what baggage you bring with your life today. It does not matter what stories you're trying to hide in your life today. God does not just offer forgiveness. God offers redemption. The God I've met has not just offered me forgiveness for the mistakes, but a redemption into where he's setting me free to live the life that I was in, he intended for me to live. So today, I want to offer you an opportunity again to just enjoy God. You know, we're going to sing another song here in a minute. And I want to give you an opportunity to enjoy God and just cast your cares under God. Stop taking the weight of all the mistakes you've made in your past. Stop carrying the burden of everything you're going to have to try and outlive in your life. Stop trying to carry the hurts of all the mistakes you've made until you can, you know, pay it off. God doesn't want you to pay it off. God wants you to give it to Him. He already paid for it. You know, it says in the Bible, it's like God paid for our sins with His blood. The blood of Christ. It says He shed His blood for us because He said that therefore paid for our sins. We don't have to pay for the mistakes we've made. I don't care whether you feel like me. I, you know, I was a pastor's kid. I'm a third generation pastor's kid. If anyone should have had grace given to them in the story they were given and the opportunity they were handed when they were born. It should have been me. You know, if anyone should have to pay off their debts, it should be me. Because if I make a mistake, I was given everything beforehand to get it right. But I've learned that I can't pay it off, but God has for me. So it doesn't matter who you think you are, how much you think you're the one that has to pay off your journey. You don't. God already did it for you. So as we sing this song, I'm going to go down the front here. You know, there was a few people back before worshipping. That is not just for people, you know, who have it all together. That is not just for people who've gone to church for this amount of time or people who've gone to breakthrough for this amount of time or any of that stuff. That's for people who just want to enjoy God. Maybe it's a God you've known your whole life. Maybe it's a God you've never known in your life. But I want to tell you right now that opportunity is available to you. If you're joining us online, I, I encourage you, this opportunity is available to you just as much as any person who's in the room today. You know, when God said you were worth the price of death itself, that wasn't given to the person you try and convince everyone around you you are. That was given to the person deep, just that deep down you feared the most. He said, that person I saw such great value in that I wanted to do these things. So we're going to sing a couple more songs and I'm going to be down the front and I would love it if you do me the honor. If you have felt like I did that night in my room, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling beyond repair, if you're feeling like you need redemption, if you're feeling like everything you had could come crumbling down in a moment, give it to God. But do it with the confidence that this God that loved you so dearly that he came and gave his only son to die for you 2,000 years ago and has every intention of lifting you back up.